to be ushered into the spirit of the Lord through song, through music, through words that speak to what God has done for us. What can be better? We will have so much more time to do this in the life to come. Amen. Amen. And so now, it's just great for us to be together. We're going to touch base on the, the art, if you will, or the practice of kindness. And if you've been following our series, you know that we've been talking about what life in the kingdom looks like. What does it mean to be the people of God? If somebody were to come here and they were described kind of the dynamics that they see, what would they say? And we've been talking about what that means. It means that we should be a people of love. We've been going through the New Testament where Paul is writing to the churches and he says a variety of things that end in the phrase, one another. So a few weeks ago, Emmanuel kicked it off with love one another. And then Francis talked about forgive one another. Emmanuel came back and said, don't speak ill of one another. We explored what that looked like. And last week, Francis spoke to us about what it means to encourage one another. The idea is that if we do these things in increasing measure, we will reflect the character and love of Christ to others in a way that is just compelling, in a way that draws them in, in a way that says, wow, this is what I've always needed. This is who I've always wanted. And so this morning, we pick up on another theme called be kind to one another. And if... Probably a, a passage in scriptures that sets this up well is Colossians 3, 11 to 12. The guys will put that up on the screen. You see 432 there. We'll get to that in a moment. But I just want to put up Colossians 3, 11 to 12. As they're doing that, you see, look, here, meaning God's church, here, right now in this location, meaning abundant life, here in your small group or here in your fellowship, there is no Jew or Gentile. There is... No circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Has God made us this way? Is this not the church that we are a part of, where everyone, no matter where you've come from, no matter what your background, no matter what your experience, God has made us all one. Out of many is one body. Out of different experiences, different backgrounds, comes one group of believers. This is what we've been celebrating in terms of kind of the abundant life DNA through the gospel focus of our praise time together. This is who God has made us and we give praise for that. But more to celebrate is so much what we have in common. And so I just give God thanks for that. And then the next verse, verse 12 of Colossians 3. Paul is talking about once again what characterizes a fellowship. Therefore, as God's chosen people, all of us from wherever we are, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved by God, clothe yourselves with these things, with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness, with patience. And so we're going to talk about kindness. We're going to look at what kindness means from Scripture's perspective. Because Scripture is full of the display of God's kindness. We're going to look specifically at the story of Ruth because that's all about God's kindness. And so let's just bring our time before him, this word in prayer. Jesus, thank you for today. Lord, thank you for the privilege of being here, just the display of your kindness that gets us here together this morning to be your people, to be rejoicing in who you've made us, to be celebrating that in worship of you. Lord, we thank you for your word, which has come to us through the ages and now instructs us and guides us and guides us safely to you in the life to come. Open our ears to hear what you would speak to each one of us. Give me the utterance that is of you today. 
Lord, we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you that it goes forth and does not return void. And so with expectation and with gratitude, we thank you now in your name. Amen. I'm going to start reading from the book of Ruth. Ruth comes at a time when it was sort of the period of judges. Moses had passed, Joshua had passed, and now their, their national life was a little raggedy. They'd sort of gone after other gods. They were sort of doing other religious practices. They'd fallen away from their Lord. And from time to time, the judges would come to try to get them back in the right path. But in the midst of that is the story of Ruth. And in chapter 1, verse 1, I'm just going to read a few of the verses, and then I'll explain as we go along. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Aphethites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant each of you, may the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. What's going on? You see in just a few short verses, one woman's world turned upside down. One woman who goes with promise from her land Judah to Moab because of famine with her husband, her provider, with her two sons who will carry on her family name and, and her, her part of it. So she goes to Moab with all kinds of great hope. But then her husband dies. And then if that's not tragic enough, her one son dies and then the other son dies. And so her provider is gone. The future that she would have for her family is gone. And she's just with two, her two daughters-in-law who are foreigners. If you were from Moab, you weren't from Israel. If you were from Moab, you weren't part of the people of God. You were essentially what we'd call a Gentile. And that's what she has left. And so she's going back to Judah because they now have food. And then she says, you guys go back to your home. You have a future. You're young enough to go back to Moab and find a husband, basically. If you read on, you find that Orpah, one of her daughters-in-law, actually says, okay, and leaves with blessing. But Ruth, the Moabitess, the other daughter-in-law, says, no. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. And your God will be my God. She's making a connection, a covenant promise, if you will, to Naomi. She is showing this initial and great act of kindness to be with this woman who is stuck in her grief, who is understandably bereft, who is understandably just knocked to her core because of what's happened. And it's just one act of kindness. It's just one thing where Ruth says, where you go, I'm going to go. And Naomi keeps trying to put her off, but then she kind of gives up. And she says, okay, you can come. Let's go together. 
And then we pick up a little bit as they come back into Judah, as they come into town. And it says, verse 19 of chapter 1, So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? They probably said goodbye to her some years ago, over 10 years ago, and said goodbye to Elimelech and her two sons. And now who's coming back but a grieving widow and one daughter-in-law? Can this be Naomi? What a transformation. And Naomi responds in verse 20, Don't call me Naomi. She told them, Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. I wonder, when we're going through hard times, when your world has been rocked, when you've had setbacks of illness or death, or job loss, or whatever that is. How you think about God and his loving kindness. See, she would have heard all about God's loving kindness as a girl in Israel. Growing up, she would have heard the stories about, first of all, how he created the world, how he made it good, and when he put men and women on the world, it was very good. That's his good creation. She would have heard about how God made a special people. He made a special promise, a covenant, with this, this group that became the Israelites, that he would be faithful covenant faithfulness he would have she would have heard about how he rescued them from slavery in egypt how he protected them in the wilderness while they're going to the promised land and how he provided for them through the promised land she would have known all these acts of what scripture calls loving kindness of what is called hesed what is also called tob this idea of god's goodness his loving kindness she would have heard all of that and then she says my experience doesn't match what right now what i've heard about god's kindness God has afflicted me. And you can start to see how it's getting to her. From her name, which means, Naomi means pleasant, to now her new name that she wants to be known by, which is bitter. God loves Naomi so much that he's not prepared to leave her there. Some of us are in that place of Naomi today, where you have become bitter, or if you're honest with yourself, you know you're on the way to some kind of bitterness because of something that's happened, a relationship that's been broken, a challenge that you've faced, a health issue that's knocked you down, a a loss of fortune or money, a foreclosure, whatever that is, there's a sense of, I am afflicted. Don't call me blessed. Call me bitter. But God's loving kindness is such that he will not let us stay in that place. When we talk about the kindness of God, when you want to know what kindness is, you got to go to see how God is acting in our lives. See, sometimes we just think kindness is just kind of this quick, brief transaction. It's holding the door open for somebody who's coming in. It's a smile for somebody, and I love our greeters that do that because, man, when you come in here, you want it. That's the first thing you want to see. These guys do a good job. It can be kind of, we can just think of it that way. Or maybe it's graciously allowing somebody to come across two lanes of traffic and exit just in front of you. You know, that is still a kindness. You could have done other, you had other choices. We have these little acts of kindness. Some of us think it's a sentiment. You know, it's like grandpa sitting on the rocker on the porch just looking around the neighborhood and with that just kind expression on his face. But kindness in Scripture is bold, it is pervasive. It is who God is, it is what he is doing, and it is so numerous that we couldn't begin to count it. But if we ignore it, if we let ourselves get stuck, if we let ourselves just get distracted, we're going to miss out on his kindness. And you know what one of the tragedies of that is? 
if, if we don't get in touch with God's kindness, how are we going to be kind to those around us? How are we going to be the expression of his love and kindness to those around us? You can only give what you've received. You can only have things spill over from your life into the lives of others if indeed you've been filled up with them first. And so it's really vital that we get in touch with the kindness of God. It's, it was vital for Naomi to start to see what God was going to do in her life. She says, don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. We need to get in touch with the God who is the one who provides, who protects, who rescues, who restores. It's easy to do that. Just start to look around you. When you, you know, by God's grace, we drove in a nice, what, 60-degree weather to get here. It's still sunny outside. Anybody got relatives on the East Coast or Chicago right now? Right. Are you praying for them? I had a friend of mine came over the other night. He said, I have to be a little late. Why is that? Well, I'm picking up my brother from Chicago. He said, I've had enough of sub-zero temperature. I'm just getting on a plane, and I'm coming to California. <laughs> you know, God's creation is good. Look around and give him thanks. Let just the beauty of what you see speak to you about that. Psalm 119, verses 1 and 2. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. It's a beautiful poetic way of saying, guess what? This is God's handiwork. Do you believe that God has loving kindness for each of us? If you're stuck, just look around. See that the sun comes up faithfully each day and the moon and the stars come out each night. This is just... God speaking to us just through what he's made, his creation. Get in touch with that. Or, or get in touch with the things that God has done for your life. Are there not things, and does, didn't Naomi have things that she could be thankful to the Lord for? She did. Grab a hold of any number of the Psalms or Psalms of praise. There's Psalm 136, which is probably one of the best ones. Psalm 136, verses 1 to 3, are just Psalms of thanksgiving. Verses of thanksgiving. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the God of gods for his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the Lord of the lords for his loving kindness is everlasting. It's actually meant to be sung in a congregation back in Bible times. That one group would say, if you will, or one person would say, give thanks to the God of gods, and everybody else would answer, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, and his loving kindness is everlasting. And then that psalm goes on, there's 26 verses in it, but it talks about what God has done. For example, verse 11, and he brought Israel out from the midst of the Egyptians, for his loving kindness is everlasting. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm, to him who divided the Red Sea in two, and his loving kindness is everlasting. And made Israel pass through the midst of it, and his loving kindness is everlasting. But he overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea, and his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who led his people through the wilderness, and his loving kindness is everlasting. You see God's creation, you see his provision, you see his protection. These are things that speak to God's love, his kindness towards us. These are the things, if you're in a place of Naomi where she was, if you're feeling stuck, if you're bitter, if you're just distracted just by the busyness of life, stop, call time out, get in touch with these things. How would you complete that for your life? What would you add? How would you adapt Psalm 136 for your needs? You could say things, praise God that he woke me up this morning. Praise God that he got me here. Praise God that he gave me a measure of health to be here. Praise God for that job. Praise God that he, you know, saved my loved one. Praise God that he arranged that blind date. Praise God that he didn't make me go on that other blind date. 
There are things to praise God for, ways to adapt the Psalms to our life that make perfect and total sense. When we come with that heart of thanksgiving for the good things that God does, we are taking in His kindness and then we're better able to spill it over into the lives of other people. Get in touch with His kindness. Amen. Now, let's be honest. There are times where just there's so many, there are deep things and tough times in this world where, where the hope that you have is really, you're, you're just so in touch with it belonging with your future life with Jesus. I talk to people as a pastor who are facing the end of their life in days sometimes, weeks sometimes. And if they know the Lord, there's a joy about it. Sometimes there can be a bit of a sadness for the things that they would have liked to do with the people that they love and care about. But there is a joy of being with the Lord. And when you think about it, that ability to be with the Lord forever, that ability to be in paradise as the thief was, that ability to have eternal life is the ultimate act of God's kindness. Am I making stuff up? No, I'm absolutely in the book. Ephesians 2 verses 4 through 7 says this, But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenlies, in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. God's ultimate act of kindness is the provision of Jesus. God's ultimate act of kindness, his ultimate act of rescue and provision is to rescue us from death. Folks, without Jesus, we're on an inevitable path to death, a death that will be permanent. But with Jesus, by, allowing, by receiving his gift, his sacrificial gift on the cross, his dying in our place to cover all our sins, all those things that we've done that we know we shouldn't have, all those ways we've offended people that we've loved and that we've sort of abused and ignored the God who made us and who cares for us and every day brings us great aspects of his kindness, all those things, Christ paid that penalty. And therefore, we can be seated with him in the heavenly realms. It is the ultimate act of God's kindness. And there's times where we can only praise him for that. People with serious disease or serious financial setback. Naomi didn't know that aspect of God where she was in the history of, of Israel at that time. We have the blessing and the benefit of knowing that Jesus has come for us. No matter where you are, bitterness is never an option or a choice. It's understandable, and I don't want to be too hard on Naomi, because it's understandable. We weep with those who weep and we mourn with those who mourn. There is a time for everything under heaven, but don't get stuck there. Let the Lord be the lifter of your head to his acts of kindness, especially and particularly what he's done for us that gives us eternal life. Don't let that pass you by. And if you know that there's people or you're here and you don't know the Lord quite like that and you're thinking, honestly, the Lord's been pretty good to me. I'm okay. Recognize that that is the Lord allowing you time out of his mercy just to come to, you, to, come to him at some point. Don't let this day pass you by. Paul says to the Romans, he's sort of rebuking them a little bit. He says, or do you show contempt for the riches of God's kindness forbearance and patience not realizing that his kindness the fact that you're still here and living is intended to lead you to repentance 
God is showing his kindness in what he's done through Jesus. He shows his kindness to us in giving us time to repent. God's kindness is everywhere. We don't want to lose sight of that. And so, as the story of Ruth goes on, you start to see what God does when one person gets in touch with that kindness. When one person starts to act the way that God has sort of moved in their heart. So we see that Ruth has just connected with Naomi and said, I belong to you. I'm going with you. And then later on in the story, Ruth has to provide more acts of kindness for Naomi. She's actually out in the field gathering food. If you were poor and destitute in Bible times, you got to go behind the harvesters and pick up the leftovers. It's called gleaning. And the instruction to the Israelites was actually to leave things in the field for those that were poor and destitute so they could actually get a hold of that. And this is what Ruth is doing in the field. But God starts to work through Ruth's kindness. He leads her to Boaz's field. And now she's actually picking up the leftovers, leftover crops in Boaz's field in such a way that Boaz notices her and says, who's that woman over there? And he's told who she is, and he calls her over, and then he starts an act of kindness to her. He says, my men will protect you. I've instructed them not to touch you. Single woman in the field with a whole bunch of guys, not a good idea, even back in Bible times. And he also instructs the men to make sure that they leave a little bit extra so that she can bring more. So then she comes home. You see how God starts to work. Ruth, kind and noble. Boaz, kind to her in return. She comes home literally with bags full of groceries, bags full of crops and things like that, And Naomi says, wow, where'd you get all that? And she says, well, I'm in the field of a guy named Boaz. And Naomi starts to thaw out. That bitterness starts to catch a glimmer of hope. She begins, she says, wow, the Lord bless him. He is our kinsman redeemer. And that was a term that meant he would be the guy that was obligated to provide for our family. He was the guy that we needed to connect to, to provide, not only to provide, but also to protect And now she begins to see what God is doing. And she moves from a place of bitterness now to a place where she can be kind. Her kindness is known to Ruth where she pulls Ruth aside one day and says, Hey, I want you to have a home. Kind of a code for I actually want you to be married, girl. So she instructs her about what to do. And she says, Look, there's a big harvest party going on. After that, you go and you come in the back and then when they're all done with parting, you just lay down at Boaz's feet. Nothing untoward. It's an act of deference, of humility, of just openness, if you will. And you, you look good. You've got to dress up. You've got to put on the perfume. That's all part of the text. And so Ruth, because she's Ruth and a woman of noble character who's obedient, goes and does exactly that. And then Boaz wakes up in the middle of the night to find this woman at his feet. Verse 9 of chapter 3. Who are you, he asked. That's always a good way to start. Who are you? I am your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner. Ruth is saying, spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. And Boaz responds, the Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am near of kin, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to redeem, good, let him redeem. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. Here's what's going on. When she says, you know, take your... 
um, garment, spread the corner of your garment over me. She's making a marriage proposal. And Boaz is pretty stoked. It's like, yeah, bam, that's what I'm talking about. Now, here's what's happening. Now, Boaz is a man of great integrity. And he says, look, there's actually somebody first in line because marriage wasn't just a love deal back then. Marriage was an economic relationship. And so there's somebody that's ahead of the line before Boaz, the other kinsman redeemer. And Boaz is a man of integrity. Though his heart wants this, though he can't believe his ears in one sense, he's, he's a man of, of God. And so he is a man of integrity. And so he just holds this potential blessing with an open hand and allows God to bring completion to it. And that's a word for us who are in business. I'll tell you, there are some opportunities that you guys see out there, and the temptation will be to work some kind of angle, something that's a little bit, mm, man, I'll probably have to confess this, but I'm going to do it anyway kind of deal. No, that's not the way God wants us to do business. That's not what he's calling us to do. If God has called you to it, he'll make sure that you get what he's ordained for you. Be encouraged by the example of Boaz. When you know that you can be loved by a woman that you think would be great for you as a wife and you can fulfill your calling as kinsman redeemer, man, the temptation to cut corners is there. But nevertheless, he goes into the marketplace that morning and he conducts his business the way that would honor God. He doesn't cut any corners. He says to the kinsman redeemer who's ahead of him, hey, you've got the option to, to get a, a Limelex land. The guy's going, yeah, I get land, I'm in. And then, Boaz is also smart. It's okay to be smart. And he says, by the way, Ruth comes with the deal. And then the guy backs out because he's already got his estate plan. And it doesn't include Ruth because he would have to provide for her as a wife. And so he, the, the kinsman redeemer with the greater claim, steps aside and Boaz buys the land Boaz marries Ruth, and they have a son. And now look at Naomi's response to that. We come. There's only four chapters in, in Ruth. And in verse 16, it says this. Then Naomi took the child, her grandson, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. And the women living there, who couldn't believe what Naomi kind of looked like when she first came, said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. You see what happens through one act of kindness? What that gets started? What God's able to do when one person is faithful? In this case, it's Ruth. Just goes with Naomi. But God, that unleashes God's kindness. That allows and enables God to act. If Ruth had not said that, where would this story be? But God acts by guiding her to Boaz's field. He knows the character of Boaz. He knows that Boaz is a kind man as well, and his kindness will be expressed to Ruth, first in protection and then in provision and later in marriage. And he knows that. He's already got Naomi figured out that that'll conspire to loosen up her heart and get her to a place where she can then be kind to Ruth. And yeah, it helps her too, but she's kind to Ruth. And now God uses these acts of kindness to build everyone up and to actually restore to a certain extent that future that Naomi thought she had lost. That's what happens when God's people start practicing kindness God's way. That's what happens when we practice kind of the law of sowing and reaping. Some of you know that law, 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Remember this, says Paul to the Corinthians, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. 
He's talking about giving there, but the same is true of kindness. If you sow kindness sparingly, you will reap it sparingly. If you sow kindness generously, you will reap it generously, as Ruth did. If you don't sow kindness at all, you will reap bitterness. And some of you know people, and some of you may be these people that are caught in bitterness. Talk to, uh, Vicky talked to a friend of ours who was the other day, who's, whose mom is just kind of almost keeping score of the slights and the offenses and things like that that she's received. Any of you know some scorekeepers? Any of you keeping score? Anybody, some of you guys played Little League, you know there's always somebody at the end of the dugout he's talking about who, somebody got a single and somebody got to the double. He's keeping score. If we start keeping score of the things that people have done to us, we are getting into a place of bitterness and isolation and way far away from what God will do. And this is why we need to get in touch with his creation, his provision, his protection, who he is, his healing. And be receptive. Let, let, you know, when somebody comes to you and they're trying to do a good thing for you, let them do it. Don't say, you know, the Starbucks card's only 10 bucks. I, I go through these like water. You could have at least gotten me a $20 card. <laughs> now, there are people that have that attitude. That's all you got? But when somebody shows you a kindness, accept it, receive it, rejoice in it. Know that God is setting you up to bless other people. couple other principles. You know, we're kind to people because we want to reflect God's kindness. We're not kind to them for our sake, to, as if we're getting something from them. Now, some parents are, you know, kind to one child because that's the golden child. And the other one is this, we don't know where he came from, but I'm, I'm just not going to be that kind to him. And like, like kindness is merited. No, kindness isn't merited. Kindness is something you give to the other person. Why? Because like you, they too are made in the image of God. God is kind to all he has made because who he has made and what he has made is beautiful and wonderful. And so the flip side of that is when you are kind to somebody, you're not necessarily showing approval of them. Some of us withhold kindness from people because we don't approve of what they're doing. But that's not the way, kindness. The Lord says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. He is kind to the grateful and the wicked. Why? Because the grateful and the wicked, all those were made with God-given worth and God-given esteem, and they are fearfully and wonderfully made. No matter how bad those people are that you know, they are also made in the image of God. It's what makes sin so bad and why God is so, so desirous of getting it out of your life. Because he wants to get all that mud, all that stuff, off that beautiful image. And kindness is the way that just starts to scrape that off, bit by bit. People that don't, oftentimes, if you have friends, loved ones that, that know you're a Christian, how many of them are coming up to you and say, hey, could you give me about a five-minute gospel rendition? I just, I had a little spare time, I'd just like to know what's going on. No, for the most part, you've probably already talked to them, and they're, for the most part, probably not interested. But if you had just come with an act of kindness to show them how they are viewed by the Lord and by you as somebody who's wonderful, who's loved, that was always made to be that way. Now, they may not be acting wonderful, but the basic core of who God has made us is that way. And so when we're kind, we're reflecting what God's original intention, the goodness of his original creation. 
countless acts of kindness. Paul was an outstanding student of the scripture. And he would have had Ruth in mind, and he would have had the Lord's Hesed in mind, all those acts of loving kindness when he's writing to the churches that their body life should be characterized by a variety of godly characteristics, including kindness. And so the original question comes back, which is, if somebody came in here and they wanted to know about Jesus, and we couldn't tell them directly about Jesus, but we just said, watch what happens, just be a fly on the wall, what would they conclude? If they came to your small group and saw how you interacted, what would they conclude about Jesus? And hopefully they conclude, wow, he's a God who's kind. Wow, he's a God who provides. Wow, he's a God who's, who protects. This is, a, this is a safe place. I can come as I am. You know, I, don't, I can't tell you how often I talk to people who have real resistance or reluctance to join a small group because they typically meet in homes uh, around the area. And there's just a big deal for somebody to actually go into somebody's home. It's like, man, if they really knew who I was, they wouldn't let me in. I got news for you. If you know Jesus, you're already in. We're just giving you a new address to go and find out what that actually looks like to be in Jesus. So, so don't be bashful. You know, all of this is a come-as-you-are party. So come on in. You know, when I look at the way God uses us as a body, when I look at what's going on in the small groups, I, I'm amazed. I could just, I could, we could be here for a long time just talking about testimonies. I've, I've seen God... It's acts of kindness in, in little things like giving people rides to groups. I know one group that met in a hospital room for a few weeks because one member was there. They'd meet in the hospital room, then when he got tired of them, they'd go down and meet in the cafeteria. I know another group that um, you know, is walking members through seasons of grief, doing meal trains for new moms to make sure that they have provision. I know groups that have taken up collections and provided money so one member could make rent. I know of people that have offered to pay for expensive operations. This is God's generosity, God's provision, God's protection in practice. This is what it means to be kind. This is what it means, I hope, that we, this is what we experience when we come together. Now, kindness aren't, these are, you know, part of the issue with kindness, though, is there's oftentimes an ongoing nature. Some of you are being caregivers for people in some tough situations. That's ongoing. You actually have the privilege of being alongside of them, but that doesn't make it easy, right? Some of you are working through some hard economic times. Maybe there has been that foreclosure. You're trying to get back on your feet financially bit by bit, and people are helping you, and they're walking with you, or you're walking with somebody like that. It doesn't make it easy. How do you keep going on? See, when Paul was talking about the fact that we need, as a group, to reflect kindness... He was also a good enough pastor to talk about the source of our power, who is the Holy Spirit. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love and joy and peace and patience and what? Kindness. Man, don't try to be kind to people, persistently kind, persevering on your own strength. Man, you're going to give up. You're only human. But the kindness that Scripture is talking about is the kindness that comes from God. The kind of kindness that people need is the kind that can be sustained. It's the kind that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And as one brother reminded me, Galatians 6, 9, after Paul says that, says, don't grow weary in doing good. Don't grow weary in showing kindness. God will bless that. You will be richly rewarded. There will be a time like Naomi, like the story in Ruth, where you will see your kindness rewarded, where you will see the fruit of it. 
God knows what you're doing. He will bless you for it. And you will see it start to work in people's lives. I have a, I, Vicky and I had the privilege of meeting um, a couple we'd never met before, but through some connections, we, we got together with them, had dinner. As you do when you're first meeting somebody, you go around and you kind of hear people's stories. They'd, um, how did you come to faith? They'd had a, a lifetime or a good portion of their adult life had been used serving the Lord in vocational ministry. So I said, how did you, talking to the guy about the same age, how did you become a Christian? And he said, well, I, came, I became a Christian in high school when I saw my parents who would have considered themselves churchgoers be totally transformed by actually joining a small group, joining a Bible study. Said they were different people. Suddenly, out of this Bible study, they are practicing the things that we're talking about. They are, they are practicing kindness and they're expressing humility and they're not, the family life totally changes to the place where Christ is the center of it. And that is such a powerful transforming witness that this young man, this teenager, couldn't deny it. And so you're like, man, there must be something to this gospel because mom and dad are completely different. And so that began his connection with Jesus. Well, I tell you, moms and dads here today, if you want your children to grow up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, yes, it's prayer, praying for them and it's the Bible and it's those things, but it's also acts of kindness. It's showing them how much you love them. If I could take back anything as a dad, there were times when I wasn't, the kind dad that I could be. Sometimes it's as much as a, a just regarding, you know, to be kind to somebody is to regard them, to say you matter. I mean, there were times where I was watching a game and our daughter Sarah would come up and she'd say, Dad, she'd be seven, eight, six, before TiVo, and want to play. I'm like, no, this play, I got to watch this thing. I'm like, I can't remember the game. I don't remember the team. I don't remember the year. What I do remember now is that I had an opportunity to be kind. One little act of kindness, one little act of regard for my daughter, and I, I punted. I didn't do it. I'm regretful of that missed opportunity. Now, she's still on her cell plan, so I'm paying a lot for that in the future. But, <laughs> but you know, there's just times, moms and dads, where this, there's just these opportunities. Don't let them pass you by. Know that these acts of kindness can be transformative. Know that if you're like Boaz on your job, you start being kind to people. Start treating employees as the God-given, the God-image bearers that they were meant to be rather than just as somebody who's not doing their work right or do, et cetera, et cetera. You start to treat them like that, you will find all kinds of business benefits accruing to you. Now, you don't do it that way, but that's just sort of God's law of sowing and reaping. Can God change you through kindness? Yeah. Can he change your family through kindness? Yeah. Can he change your job through acts of kindness? He can. Can he actually do more for you through certain acts of kindness than you ever thought or imagined? Yeah. Because you know what? Ruth's child, Obed, actually is the grandfather of King David. That's how this, this story ends. And it's told, the reason we have Ruth is because the line of Christ comes through King David. Read Matthew 1. So what was God doing just by having Ruth say, where you go, I will go? Setting Ruth up to be the great-grandmother of David. Setting Ruth up 
to eventually have her great, 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 I don't know how many great, grandson, Jesus, and setting the world up to show that the Gentiles are included. If you have a Moabitess, if you have a foreigner, if you therefore have a Gentile in your family history, you are saying, it's not just for the Jews. It's for everybody. Now that is mind-blowing. Don't underestimate what kindness is going to do in your world or how God will use it to glorify Him. We won't know until we get to heaven, but we don't dare stop or we don't dare take it for granted. You have countless opportunities to show kindness, God's kindness to people in the days ahead. Don't let Him pass you by. Amen? Amen. All right. This is a time in our service where we invite those and invite a few things we're going to do right now. First, I'm going to ask everybody just to close your eyes, bow your head. And if you don't know the Jesus the way I've been talking about him, as the one who is the provider, your protector, your rescuer, who is taking care of all your sins, past, present, and future, so that you can be with him not only now but forever. If you don't know him like that, but you want to, would you just raise your hand and say, I want to receive you, Jesus, right where you're sitting. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Anybody want to know Jesus that way? I see that hand over on the right. I see that hand on the left. If you don't know Jesus that way, now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. God's kindness is known in his mercy. The fact that he just brought you here this morning is no accident.